Hey, everybody. Welcome to another absolutely glorious episode of Jeff Has Cool Friends. My name's Jeff May, and you are never going to guess what I have. It's it's the title of the show. I have cool friends. Uh, and I'm actually very excited to bring uh, one of my absolute coolest friends. And uh, to date, the friend that I have known the longest on any show that I have done, uh, musician, teacher, animal husbander, husbander, You're, I hope would be not animal husband. Farmer. Yeah. Um, Tim McCuga. Tim, how you doing? Hi, uh, I'm all right today. It's a beautiful day. and It's surreal interviewing you because I've known you for about 25 years. And there's part of me that has to be like, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> but in reality, you have such a fascinating life. And as I was looking through, one of the most underrepresented uh, interviews that I do are generally music and sports because my I don't know shit about music. And that's something that's actually, it, it has been a, a crippling existence for me uh, to be as tin-eared as I am and to be friends with you and uh, all of our friends who, you know, I'd be around you guys talking, but we'll get to that. You are uh, you are the co-bandmate of uh, Have a Nice Life. Yes, that works. Co co co-founder, co-manager. I, I don't know how to describe your music to people. I just don't. Is it, it like what's the what's the how would you describe your the style of of your music? I mean, as it started out, or as it took off, I guess we'll just start from like yeah. Know, two, 2005 being D-Day rather than screwing around in mm -hmm. college coffee houses, uh, trying to make the Chris Caraba types feel uncomfortable. I don't know. But starting when we got our hands on recording equipment or the stuff that people have been paying attention to, it's two guys who don't know what they're doing with recording equipment, trying to record 80s songs badly. But, uh, you know, and that's... I don't want to make it sound like false modesty necessarily, but what the sound came out of was not eighties music. That's not what I would have uh, viewed it as. No, I don't think it's what came out from, you know, our just particular attempts to say, what if we tried to write a song that sounded like the cure, but it can't help ourselves with the volume of the instruments or pushing things into the red and developing just a different vocabulary of sound design, I guess that was nothing like that, or maybe tangentially like it. That's, that, that's the best description I, I could give that an attempt to just rip a certain genre of thing <laughs> off gone awry and taking on a life of its own it's funny because i i, I in my research and i i can't stress enough how awkward it feels to research you um it, it, it makes me uncomfortable um because it feels like i'm spying on a friend um which is weird because it's stupid i i do this show i've been doing it for quite some time but so um the the album that we're talking about death consciousness which it, it has become this unbelievable cult smash one of those albums that people are like this is one of the greatest albums of all time and so i was looking up and researching death consciousness and somebody described in 2016 so 
quite a while after the album had been released. But as it was sort of gaining this massive popularity on um, social media and, and Reddit specifically, um, in death consciousness, everything good must come to a brutal soul-sucking end. When you have depression, all your other emotions get mashed into a sort of detached empathy. The most powerful emotions barely even register as a blip. Your brain endlessly pummels uh, at you until all you feel is nothing. Now, that is a description of your album. How do you feel about that description? I accept it. I mean, that's not what I said. That that's that is not the question that I asked. And I that's I, a, f- a feeling of acceptance. That's a feeling that I think I'll never be comfortable with hyperbolic praise, or I'll never feel mm-hmm. comfortable with hyper hyperbolic analysis of anything that I've done. Uh, I, I guess so. That's another feel. <laughs> I accept it. I accept that it makes me feel a little uncomfortable for uh, something that I mean, the both of us, you know, uh, are if if you followed our music that, you know, Dan's the singer, he's the lyricist, he's the one that's putting his life narrative out there, mm-hmm. the clearest, whereas as you know, the instrumentalist, riff writer, uh, composer, sound designer, but somebody who does not actually put words to the experience just a more abstraction of you know uh p- particularly low stretches in uh the, the history of my mental health i guess that it's not it's not like we were trying to write <laughs> so i said trying to write uh you know n- new wavy gothy 80s sort of stuff and just having it come out all wrong that's what we were trying for but in terms of the sadness to it i mean that was the emotional vantage point and, you know, is still for a lot of what we do, but the apocalyptic, you know, that, that quote that you just gave, it's, you know, it's still difficult for me to accept that that's what people are receiving on the other end. That, that's always been my, since, since knowing about the project and listening to the project, and I have listened to the project several times, it's, it's one of those things where, I am a fan of yours as well as a friend, although this music isn't necessarily something that I would regularly listen to. Um, I was never I've never really been a metal fan. Um, I never even leaned into hardcore that much. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I'm not classifying you as hardcore. I'm just saying like there are certain brands of music that I just never really ascribe to. Um, That's a part of where I came from. Yes. You know. Blood Hail is sort of, I guess, the song that seems to be the most popular the comments on that YouTube video and sort of the review that you got on that, it, it makes me, I always wonder, I'm concerned for, and and I'm sure it's much more of like a me and my teacher brain that I have on that of like sort of the impact of influence of music. Does that ever, are you ever concerned about that? Like, like that somebody might do self-harm to to your music i know that's like a really heavy question to ask but it's something that i can't ignore no i mean i think i don't know dan has more to say about that because Mm -hmm. with his other side project he's written very explicitly about suicidal ideation where a song like that is you know nihilistic let's go murder god with Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's a much more abstract or metaphorical illustration of depression i guess but it's it's the mood it's the mood of depression as opposed to the poetry of depression 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, when people need that kind of help, mm-hmm. like, we've, let's put it this way, we've heard often, and, you know, maybe not loudly necessarily, but often from people about how it was a help to them oh, great. in that stage of their life. Actually, when we went to do the Roadburn Festival in uh, the Netherlands, I encountered some fans outside of the main stage after we had played and there was there's a guy for two guys from austria but one of them didn't speak english but one of them translated for the other one you know that this was the first time he had left his house in however so long and just sort of tried to relay you know this narrative about the music being something to identify with in a mitigating the pain, I guess, or, you know, validating it and being of some sort of assistance to move on or, you know, in that particular instance being, you know, getting it together to be able to leave self-imposed house arrest after, uh, however, you know, that was surreal. Right. So it's, you, you hear those stories. You, you don't necessarily hear, I haven't seen it in the newspaper, like whatever the Judas priest or Ozzy, you know, remember this yeah. heavy metal suicide panic of our youth. Or the, I remember things. Blink 182, like Adam's song. I remember, I remember somebody, there was a story where that had happened. And, you know, I was thinking about the impact on, on a band for something like that, but there is definitely a comedy to your, to the nihilism yeah. of, of that music. Yeah. And I mean, I think, so we've never been informed or been told or, you know, there's never been like a suicide note from somebody saying like, this is why I did it. The album just pushed me over the edge. And, you know, it becomes like the Schrodinger's cat of potential reactions mm-hmm. to art that you made. But yeah. So I guess I'm not coming to a firm answer about it because we don't really know. It's within the realm of possibility in the world, yeah. right? It's it's something that can happen out there, but absent really knowing and more of the feedback that you get being people telling you that it was a net positive in their life, that's, you know, that's how you can justify yeah. or feel, feel good about it and you know, if an album does push push somebody over the edge, I mean, we have a more enlightened conversation about suicide and the way depression works at this point in the 21st century, right? Like it's- yeah. It certainly it's is something bear. that's out there, yeah. Yeah, it's the ghost around the neck. It's not- uh, you, you, you guys also released a 70-page pseudo-historical telling uh, with with this album- why why yeah. why 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 would that happen uh i mean just another another manifestation of our interests i mean so that's something that dan you know had written himself it's you know we, we were both history majors are you a history major too that hey. the, the regular talk that we've we would have at band practice or just hanging around eating burritos is about cool cults or just things historically that have lit our brains on fire and how can we you know incorporate that incorporate these representations from history into the image of our music i guess but uh yeah that that was 
that was something that, um, yeah, that just coming out of some conversations and then, you know, a part of the narrative, Dan had lost his father really suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in the in-between of us actually recording a lot of those songs. And he did a long trip, a backpack trip through Europe uh, shortly thereafter. And, you know, when he came back, he said like, hey, like, this is, this is what I'm thinking. This is, you know, and yeah. just sort of gave this narrative and um some bits and pieces to it and presenting it as false document, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are people that contact us saying like, I'm at my university library right now and I can't find anything about Antiochianism. And I don't know, like we, in the early days, we just sort of played mum about it. Like, oh, that's <laughs> sort of playing up the mystery. But by now everyone knows that it's false document or it is another expression of uh the musical stuff in there so yeah that it's uh when you have history dorks in a band trying to do this sort of stuff and trying to come up with some other uh voice for the ideas behind the music uh being this text-based spine for all the songs um one of the things that gave you guys this very interesting sort of uh appeal this crossover aspect is when um Lil Peep sampled you guys I don't know who that is. I'm going to be honest. I didn't either. Uh, but apparently not not nobody in in the world of of, of hip hop. Um, I mean, he, with my students, he's, I don't know, kind of like a Kurt Cobain figure. Or like I literally, I had no idea. The day he died was when I was informed by a student. I think I've said, I've relayed this story in other interviews before. But I'm sitting at my desk after school grading. And one of my students comes into in like the lights are off like lording it up yeah you know in my dark room grading <laughs> and one of my students comes and turns on the lights mr mr mcuga did you hear i said did i hear what he said well did you know that a rapper named lil peep had sampled some of your shit? he said it that way and really? i said no i don't he said yeah well he's dead and then he kind of walked off there's a lot like, of information to process when some when a, when a child comes up to you, curses to you, says somebody <laughs> took your work, and that person is dead, and then leaves. There's so much information for you to process in that 15-second interaction. So I dropped the pile of essays or whatever it was. I'm like, all right, I got to Google this guy. And, you know, the obituary was up. And, you know, he had sort of sampled everyone, uh, Radiohead and Coldplay and, you know, really famous people and then nobody's like us so i don't know i just learned all that on the spot now you said nobody i think i even learned what soundcloud rappers were at that particular moment i want to cut back to something you said when you said nobody's like us because one of the things and obviously humility is a thing like uh, we have to be like that but and I know that obviously you have a day job. You're a teacher. You, you're an educator. You, you have that's your career, and and you've you've sort of created a small farm for yourself, and you have this own life. So you don't necessarily live the the existence of of of, of a popular musician. And yet, in 2009, this album was considered critically one of the best albums of the year. Yeah. So 
backtracking on i have to disabuse myself of the false modesty i guess the nobody's come from i mean maybe dan is a little more of a somebody because he's always been the internet personality and the very charming engage, yeah. in, engaging people where for a long time the joke was and i think in uh in the death consciousness book doesn't it doesn't say tim lives in the woods it's as like dan's contact information and then Tim lives in the woods because I was teaching for an environmental ed program at that time mm-hmm. and very literally lit. Like I had to go hike a mountain to call people on my cell phone to get, uh, to, to get service that, um, by nobody's though, like that's more of a reference to the fact that the memedom of the music sort of took over its identity, the mm-hmm. abstraction of us or in very specifically the abstraction of Dan, but the, the very surreal, you know, removed image of who we are. And I mean, certainly some of the, the mystery we were playing up or fooling around with, or just uh, the mythos that we had built into it, I guess that that's, that might be more where still the idea of no, I, I still feel that even though my students, like kids have asked me this, this past year was the first time kids had asked me to sign memorabilia, like a yearbook at the end of class, right? That I'm a somebody to them, but, you know, in the grander scheme of things, it's still, you know, both guys with day jobs that like the Spotify count, right? That's an abstraction of us being somebody's or the reviews that are out there, but we still live relatively anonymous lives and me way more so than my writing partner. Yeah. So that's the, the anonymity is actually really fascinating. The one of the times where I, I, it kind of hit me that I was like, Oh, they're not around here was I, uh, I, I had seen you live. You guys did a concert. You did, you did a show right after one of my shows. So I finished up Mint on Card and um, got my car and sped over uh, to your show and uh, grabbed a shirt. And it's this shirt that says, no fun, not ever. I loved it. It's great. Um, it's too big for me now, uh, which is <laughs> a nightmare. I have to get a new one. I have to put in for a new one. It's because you look so good these days. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's I just I've, I've lost 30 pounds. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Um, but. I did, somebody did a caricature of me in crayon, a very simple drawing at Comic-Con of me. And half of the shirt was in the the crayon drawing and it just wrote no fun. And it had like kind of the stick figure woman and a comment on my Instagram from somebody goes, wait, are you wearing a no fun, not ever shirt? And I was like, okay, this is a thing. This is, this is the meme my sister had and it was it was very, it was like the first pressing of those. My sister was an adjunct uh, art history professor mm-hmm. at a design college in Philadelphia. She saw one of her, she actually saw a student who was interested sooner than I did, at least. And Really? Yeah, she said, you'll never guess. And also gave him the history lesson. That, that woodcut was my was, was my idea. It came out of a brief fascination with uh, Dutch, Dutch Puritan etching more, more, more yeah moralistic art or whatever but then she knew a bunch about it too so I think she cornered the kid or imagine like, hey, that's my brother and let's talk art about uh, the art on your shirt imagine being some f- teen some some like some 19 year old f- music fan and you're like I'm gonna wear this shirt and then all of a sudden you're like forced to learn <laughs> like what a f- nightmare that must have been 
I mean, cool. It's a cool coincidence. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, and I think that, you know, went to prove, I mean, to some people, it's like, oh, like these guys have family or they're not, they're not that anonymous. They're people, not memes, or they're people, not a myth from this booklet about satanic cults. I, I love, like, I am... Even if I'm not like a, I, I'm a big fan of my friends. There's a reason that I created this show, and, and it's because I'm just I I like sort of like being proud of the people that are that are part of my family. There's a reason that they that I've chosen for them for my life family, you know. And 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 when I see them succeed, I'm very happy. Um, and I've had to like pull myself back because. I would keep seeing like all my friends art on shirts and tattoos. And I kept being like, Oh, let me take it. And I, I'm like, I got to stop taking photos <laughs> of strangers and texting them to my friends and be like, ah, it's a picture you did on a shirt. And they're like, yep, there it is. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess it's probably old by now for you, but I'm excited about it. Have you ever seen that in the wild? Have you ever, have you ever met a fan in the wild where you weren't expected? Oh, yeah. I got recognized at That's Entertainment once. I had to... That's Entertainment being the, the comic book store that... Uh, yes, the comic book store that from our in, central Massachusetts. Yeah, in uh, the, the one in Worcester, Massachusetts, or the one in Fitchburg? It was the Fitchburg one, actually. Which is a much so smaller even, version, yeah. Yeah, an even unlikelier, you know, smaller crowd. That How'd that interaction there. go? I blew that. I didn't. Really? I didn't know... It, I mean, before that had happened, I had had experiences with students, but it hadn't been a total stranger before. I think this might have been before we had started doing tour dates. And I mean, our version of regular tour dates is like once every couple of years and only doing four of them or something yeah. like that. But, you know, before really doing any public interfacing uh, that way. That I yeah I want to say it was just somewhere in the cracks there and I didn't I probably made it weird for the kid I didn't I didn't have my head wrapped around like I knew how to talk to like a student of mine who the relationship's know, already there out. yeah yeah the relationship is already there and then maybe they looked at the music backwards or later and then said oh, I had an experience with it is it weird Mr. Makuga that I was like no was, I'm glad to see that you know so yeah. you already have the relationship there but a complete stranger in the wild recognizing my face which i had also there was a part of me that was like uh, like <laughs> i'd stayed out of a lot of the memes or a lot of the memes are based around dan's corporate pictures for his business and uh like his face is generally more known but this kid has done his homework so much that he recognizes me and i don't know how to you know i'm doing my wednesday warrior <laughs> Does that make you uncomfortable or does that make you more like, oh, shit, like more like I'm getting better okay. about it, but, you know, and that's I just gave you the anecdote about, yeah. you know, the Austrian guy uh, and just other encounters that I've had where I've just had to work on it. I think before we hit record, I was talking to you about just doing this podcast is an attempt to be more comfortable yeah. with it and to be more accountable for this stuff. I think when we meet fans at performances. It's much different than meeting fans in the wild. Um, when you meet a fan at a performance, you are expecting to meet fans at performances because that's the whole point. People are going to buy tickets to see you do the thing that you do. They're going to see your art. To see it in the wild, which has happened to me at most a dozen times. 
and I I do put myself out there. It's it's you know it's almost debasing myself that that you have to make yourself so visible when you naturally want to just be like ah, I'm not I ain't. But it is very strange to have people say your name to you when you've never met them. Yes, that's it's so. Anyways, if you're listening out there, kid from. That's Entertainment North on John Fitch Highway. <laughs> it's a good Fitchburg, plug. Massachusetts. I'm sorry I made it weird for you. I'm trying to get better about what, it. What a what a human interaction to have is to like meet a celebrity. I've what one of the things that I've done, and I'm still at this point where it's it's there's the humility of nobody wants this, but at the same time, I'll say it's so nice to meet you. I infinitely appreciate you. If you want a photograph, uh, I can totally do that with you. If you have no reason to want that, which is kind of what I think is the case, you don't have to have that. But I always give them the option because I know a lot of people will like tweet at me afterwards and like, I wanted a photo, but it felt weird. So I kind of open with making that offer. So that Mm -hmm. way, because I'm not. I don't prefer anonymity. I, 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 I thrive. I, I, it's not even thrive. I survive by not being mm-hmm. anonymous. It's the only way I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you depend on it. Whereas I'm at that Z, you know, looking for Mark bright iron man or something yeah. in my, in my work clothes, right? Like my teacher sweater, Oh yeah. my teacher tie and all that. And like my overcoat, it was in the winter. Like I looked like I just stepped off of a, a 1930s train or something. and it, But it would have been the gracious thing to do. Uh, you know, he said something also maybe leading and I, I didn't know how to listen for these things. He said something like, oh, I wish I had my vinyl copy. You know, I'd ask you to sign it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I probably said something like, ah, oh, bummer. <laughs> I mean, what were you what, what were you supposed to do about that? Did you have yeah. a vinyl copy with you? They did. No, actually, this was before the Batsy in Pittsburgh does have a lonely copy of Sea of Worry that I think was ordered in by uh, one of the clerks that uh, she's since moved. Uh, Emily, shout out to her. I think she put us on the rack. So maybe like if I was quick enough, I could have said like, hey, like Dario, I'll catch you later with it. Let's at least give this. I don't know. Let me make this happen. But it, it was before that came out, I think. Or it was before that. And yeah, I don't think uh, that's E North isn't renowned for its vinyl sales. So I don't even yeah. think a student would have no, known to look for it. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. That is why I do like, if you're listening, it means you most likely know who I am. If you do see me, I'll take a photo with you. It's fine. Unless there's something weird going on with my face or something. Like somebody threw acid in my face at a courthouse. While I was trying to prosecute them for organized crime, uh, <laughs> unless that happened, like you can do that. But I do always make that like I kind of break the ice of being like, if you want it, I'll do it. If you don't, it's a lateral move either way for me. Kind of a yeah. thing. Just don't post a photo where I look stupid. Uh, yeah. That's that's all I ask. OK, so when I wanted to get into comedy and I decided to retire from teaching, I waited until my retirement was approved before I put myself in a position where I might eventually put be in the public eye. You kind of accidentally have the opposite <laughs> where you are now leading, you know, and teaching is sort of a, a you know, there is no anonymity locally 
when you're a teacher. That's not a thing. No, it's your your joke that I always yeah you I always repeat a world a celebrity. Uh, yeah, you is. did. You you quoted that. Was it in like a Vice or Revolver? It was in Revolver, and and, and uh, one of my jokes got uh, quote tweeted <laughs> in uh, in Revolver. It was pretty nice. But yeah, so like that pedigree of you having created something that's impactful, especially to young internet dwellers, and now you're in this real world, how is that navigable? Are you asking if parents know about it? That's one thing, yeah. I'm, like, I'm assuming because <laughs> my colleagues, there, there are no secrets involving no. teachers like it's just there's no such thing as an actual secret you can try yeah but like i remember there were times where i'd be out on a date and i'd be wearing like a like a hoodie or something and then a kid would come in the next monday and be like what does skunk records mean and i'd be <laughs> like what and like i saw you when you were wearing a hoodie that said that and i was like this is weird and i don't feel comfortable with it so like um okay so i i think i know you're i'll, I'll start with the kids uh and again yeah. early on I kind of avoided it a little bit or like kids knew that maybe I wasn't comfortable yet talking about my artistic life or, and they were gracious about it. I don't know. Kids more gracious than me, I guess. I think, you know, my first few years, at least in the district I'm in now, you know, they did, they, they would preface things with like, Hey, I've got some questions. Is it weird for you to talk about these kinds of things? Or can I ask? And I'd say like, well, like after school, you know, cause they'd want <laughs> to talk shop in between classes or something. I'm like, I got to get my lesson plan. Ready yeah. You're, you're like, I meant work. Yeah. I got to go to the copy machine. <laughs> um, but you know, I learned to, you know, at least start just having basic i mean sometimes they would just want to know like what well, what have you been listening to or you know they'd want to know they'd want my opinion on bands that they were listening to or things like that and th that was an easy tennis volley of a conversation to learn to have mm -hmm. with kids so long as you know again i wasn't they weren't trying to derail class with it or something yeah. like that because i'd shoot that sort of thing down and like no i'm trying to we're trying to do a lesson on Napoleon's conquests here. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. This, now's not the, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do the student thing to try to derail the teacher like that. So I don't know it started like that, but you know, gradually as I got more comfortable with it, students would ask more, I don't know, in-depth questions, I guess. Uh, I mean, sometimes about making the music, mm -hmm. right? And then that was like a logical step. Like, what's the artistic process? Uh, you know, how, what do you recommend for me? You know, trying to record tough. a demo, tr trying to record a demo or something like that. And I mean, none of them, though, have gone to the top shelf level. Of, you know, like you started with that, that quote, like, how do you deal with being the the heralds of crushing depression in people's lives or you know haven't asked me personal to questions. be fair that's how i open every interview yes <laughs> that it... feel about being the herald of yeah crushing depression in people's lives um or no but but the quotes and the yeah the press so anyways like it's never like maybe that's coming someday i mean mm -hmm. i've had students go to the level of just saying hey i just wanted to tell you and then narrate 
you know, just an emotional situation for them and a connection that they had with the music, but not a kid saying, hey, tell me about your the inner workings of, you know, your darkest times. Tell me about your mental health issues. They've never done, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's the last frontier of it being weird. But so, yeah, for kids, it was a graduation process. Yeah. Of, but with parents, it's it's never come up that a parent is like, my kid is putting on black nail polish because of your cockamamie. Like, that's never happened. I don't think I've had a parent at parent teacher conferences try to like, hey, I looked you up or, you know, yeah. they may, they're probably Googling me, maybe Googling me. I don't know if they know from their kids. I do think one of the special ed teachers, the the chair of the special ed department did out me one year at parent teacher conferences on his iPad, like with really old, like our old footage from college where we're just being on stage. It's like, get a look at this. It's, I mean, he's the teacher that could get away with being that guy to parents. But. Wait, like what he was showing off you? Yeah, you YouTube footage. Like, hey, the English teacher, look, he's on YouTube because your kid likes it. It's, you know, but he's he's all right. I, uh, I, I love him. He's I would have been super annoyed about that, though. Are you were you not annoyed by it? It's if you have a good relationship with someone and you know it's coming from, I don't know, at least for me. But and did you tell him to cut it out, though? Were you like, hey, don't do that again. I, I, I think I rolled my eyes, but oh. I don't. I don't know. I'm not very, I'm a conflict avoider. Yeah. I've learned to, I've learned to be less of that now where like, as I've grown where I'm just like, man, I got to self advocate more. Like I gotta, that's with comedy with me now. Whenever people are like, oh yeah, come do this show. I'm like, what's the rate? And if you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't pay. I'm like, I got work to do. Sorry. I got, I got stuff that pays me that I have to do. I don't, I can't just make you money, which is a hard Mm -hmm thing to have to say but you know i mean i'd say it much more nicely of course but but that Mm -hmm. definitely is sort of a part of that you did try stand-up comedy for a little while (laughs) golfers Um, welcome yeah yeah you were uh we were sorry that's just a callback to a very bad bit that i had about yeah uh, the the local gentleman's club having a banner that said golf i don't remember what the payoff or the punchline of that was but that's the most i remember yeah yeah the premise of it's something that would be like a tweet of just a photo of that and just with like a snappy like are there strip clubs or they're not welcome kind of a thing yeah like are golfers not an like a pretty innocuous group of athletes I think the premise was it reminded me of like bikers welcome that golfers were this persona non grata in I like the idea of like golfers are are the bad boys of of recreational sports they're not gonna be let into a Chili's wearing their color yeah yeah bring your Sebring Uh, you know we have plenty of spaces for it uh yeah that was it was very interesting because you had um you decided to get into stand-up comedy um a little bit after I had because you were like, oh, this looks like fun. You're, you seem to be having fun. But you were staying in teaching. You were like, I'm Was so- I at that point? Or yeah. It was 2012. Okay, yeah. Well, I had just been laid off. Oh, that's um, that explains my it. My first... Then. Like, yeah, maybe just the nihilism of being a budget cut. I didn't know when my next, you know, I was working at a summer camp at that point. And I think I remember I was just 
thinking of bits and giving them to you and you said like you do it yeah i was like this is your this is your thing yeah, i don't want to take like, I'll, your I'll thing have them call you up and i'm like no and we were at ellers and lester right or yes in cherry valley uh yeah, in cherry Ma- valley. central massachusetts like, no you you do this you deal with this and yeah. uh yeah i put a go of it and then after you moved i had uh you know, I had done some open mics. I had gone back to Rob Crean at the Middle East. Yes, and, uh, a great, a great uh, uh, pot, uh, open mic that I, I'm not sure if it still exists, but it's where I got my start as well. Yeah, um, and B- Bishop's East. Lounge in Northampton that I would go there to do uh, all over the state to do this Boston and Northampton and not, not many other places. Although didn't I do uh O'Halloran's with you in Pro- Auburn? I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. That was probably the last time I did it. Um, we, yeah. we, cause what, yeah, like we've been, it's interesting because we, I mean, we're friends. We've been friends for, for years. Uh, I, I believe we were at each other's weddings. Um, yep. And it's one of those things where we we can drift. I mean, we're not we're not tethered together artistically in such a way that like if we didn't talk for a month and a half, the band would break up. Like yeah. like that's not the friendship we have. It, it's 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 strictly a non-working friendship where where we we don't have to rely on each other for anything. And that actually is a very it's kind of one of my favorite kinds of friendships it's where liberating. it's it's there's no obligation to it mm-hmm. and, and and it's one of those things but uh and this is one of those things that you know you don't know how to say it to another person but like you're one of the only people that i would drive an hour and 15 minutes out of my way during a road trip to another place <laughs> just to visit yeah. uh and to, to to meet your goats and your alpacas or llamas or yep alpacas they're alpacas do, do you guys make yeah. uh alpaca wool yeah, so we've uh, we've got some shears. Uh, not, figuring out how much really needs to be enough to send it off to a mill. So yeah, we've just got all of these moth-proof bags marked by the name of the the girl that it came off of, or the uh, the boy. We have one. Uh, what neutered are ram, what are their names? Bobby. Oh God, all of them. Uh, what are the al- how many alpacas do you have? We have seven alpacas. Uh, Is that expensive? Um, so four of them, no, five of them, four or five of them were rescues, uh, that we got for free, essentially to, to, we were called from an, an adoption list because they were surrendered in a police bust somewhere and neglected for years. So that wasn't the bus was for bank robbery, actually. Wow. (laughs) Right. You know, you learn to play the the local animal husbandry market for deals. Uh, I think, you know, especially early pandemic, like a lot of people were selling off. So one of, one of our girls we bought from a local petting zoo because I mean, yeah, pandemic hit and no one's doing petting zoos and they needed to liquidate. They needed the cash. So we're like, Hey, we're, we're looking to get into it. You need the cash. What's an alpaca Um, go for in a buyer's market? Uh, I mean, I think the petting zoo girls were like 300, but high end breeder quality show quality. That's an, that's an affordable alpaca. That's an affordable pet. Well, they've, when they've, it's been about 20 years or maybe since the nineties, they first started coming up as exotic animals. 
from South America. And originally there's a breeder that we've, uh, you know, uh, who's mentored us a bit over in Hubbardston. And he said, you know, back in the nineties, he was investing in them, but like it was as much as a brand new car, like a brand yeah. new Audi or something. My step family had that, alpacas. Yes. But now they are pretty cheap because they're not exotic anymore. People have been breeding for a couple of decades. They've, I think there's some farms experimenting with trying to make them happen as meat, but that's not really taking off at people's CSAs that there's just a population of alpacas that's, you know, the valuation, unless you're looking into high pedigree, you know, super attenuated bloodline alpacas for professional show purposes, that they're pretty affordable. So what, like, when I say um, is that expensive, I actually didn't mean the cost of the alpacas. I, I assume that oh, they're because that's just like a one-time fee. Yes, but like the the cost of maintaining seven alpacas. You guys have um, it seemed to me when I met them like about a dozen goats or so. Yep. Um, like that can't be in a like a cheap um upkeep. I still think we spend less on our animals than parents my age spend on their children sure. uh, in terms of you know you get hay deliveries the medicine that you know you feel comfortable you know like there's veterinary care that we have sort of trained ourselves to do that's up to a certain level we have a veterinarian or a, a traveling vet tech who you know uh she's pretty affordable when we have those needs mm -hmm. uh you know we've got pasture space it's it's pretty chewed up at this point and winter's coming but you know that obviously you want them pasturing instead of just feeding them feed or hay 100 of the time that's you know and then we you know to offset the cost we've been breeders so we breed uh -huh. and sell and actually maybe as we speak if not once we finish we are selling uh our two cashmere goats uh today two two girls that we have that uh we just want to downsize a bit before winter and uh there's a different farm that uh that'll take them yeah that that, that wants them and uh you know and so roughly for them we're getting back at least what we paid i mean we fed them for i don't know how long we've had them like a year or so mm -hmm. that's you know we got them and then decided eh, that's but yeah, the breeding that helps, uh, you know, uh, we, we're not breeding the, the alpacas um, no. the way that we breed. One of the alpacas is pregnant, came to us pregnant from uh, the farm we got her from. But the goats and the sheep that we've bred them every spring and sold off most of the offspring to different farms. Yeah, I remember when I was over and you were like, I'm about to clip their nuts. You want to see? And I was like, I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm going to go. It was a, it was a very funny thing. Like the idea of having this like near, like the reason, one of the reasons I was so excited to do this episode is that you are, you are successful in so many weird parts of life. Like you, you are, you're musically successful more than most have been. Uh, you have a, a good career as an educator and you're also like a low key homesteader almost. It's very, you know, not not in a, in a 
you know, this is all you could survive off of the land right now if you needed to. But still, like, I remember you were like, I'm I'm learning how to build a chicken coop and, and, and over the course of time learning all these things. And so I always wondered about that, like how how deep into that? Like, do you, this is a weird question. Do you want a gun? For like far, uh, farming, I have a license. I have a license to carry, but I don't currently own one to, anymore. Like, what if? Like, have you ever had to put one of your animals down yourself? Um, I mean, well, so not. We do an alpaca with a gun. Like for the bigger animals, we'd have our vets uh, yeah. euthanize them. But I mean, in terms of chickens, turkeys, ducks rabbits you know the smaller stuff if it's just looked like there's no way out from some sort of malady and they're only having a decreasing quality of life that you know i've done it with a knife yeah how was that like how does that feel the first time you do that i mean is it do, do you carry it with like oh such such is life and then you like put your hooded cloak back on and walk away yeah. or or are you just like man this is intense it's 600 AD over here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that with practice, right? You know, when you start, you know, my first round of doing a chicken slaughter, right? Because every year we do, you know, one or two dozen meat birds um, in the summer. You know, they're actually, you know, their slaughter isn't that hard because they never get that muscular. It's pretty quick. Uh, you know, they're fat. But over time, especially with the rabbits, like, yeah, in the early goings, you're going to you're going to screw up, but you want to fix that error as quick as possible. So there is no pain. Like there was a lot of, you know, nervousness that I knew I just had to work through and, you know, I mean, I hate to <laughs> reduce it to something like lifting weights or doing squats or something like that, okay. but, you know, work on your form, work on placement, uh, you know, make sure that I'm really using the best possible tools that, you know, over time, the more practiced I got at it, uh, it became, so we've, we've recently stopped doing rabbits. Um, we started doing it, them for breeding meat rabbits as a, like, yes, this is, this is the most value effective food that we could raise. And now we're kind of at the point like, yeah, we don't need that many, yeah. we don't need that many rabbits in our freezer. We don't, you know, that is one of the more arduous you know, days of slaughter that I would have to do rabbits. I would say ra like the slaughter of rabbits. It's one of those things where it's like the meat to cute ratio is too off for me. I wouldn't be able to do it because I'd be like, I've seen too many cartoons. I'm willingly disassociated with my footprint as far as yeah. like I know about it. Cause you know, I grew up on a farm. Yeah. Like I've seen, you know how they used to slaughter cows at the, at the farm, we used to rent out uh, the land to other people. My grandfather was smart. He knew not to have animals himself anymore and just rent out his yeah. land to other people. They used to just throw a bunch of bread over the gate. And then the first cow that would come over to eat the bread, they would take a shotgun, put it yeah. in the front of its head and just blast its fucking face off. And yeah. like, I had to see that as a kid. I know what the pro like I know the footprint of, of eating meat, uh, but to get my hands dirty, I'm too much of a coward. Is chicken on a bone still weird for you? It sure is. It sure yeah. f is. See, I know you, man. I can't eat it. It's so gross. There's like the foods I don't like are not. It's not like, oh, I don't like the taste of that. It's generally food that gives me a visceral 
reaction that is mm-hmm. that makes me sick. So it's not it's not me being like, ooh, I don't like the taste of chicken on the. It's like literally the texture. Yeah, and I remember ex- you explained it to me one time. It's that, and it's tomatoes. Yep, those are the ones like the the tomato seeds. If there's a tomato seed in my food, I will literally have a reaction that makes me feel like I'm like eating snot or something. <laughs> like it's 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 an objectively yeah. jarring. And you saw that firsthand. <laughs> we were at I I did uh, when I was last home. The last mm. time we hung out, when I was last home, we were at a restaurant and uh, I ordered this sandwich that sounded amazing. And I just said, just no tomato. And it took like forever for the food to come out. And it finally came out and it was just like lousy with tomatoes, just yeah. lit- like to the point there was where no I was, way out. there was a sarcastic amount of tomatoes on that sandwich. Well, you also said like, and it's so expertly wrapped. <laughs> it's so it was so perfectly they did done. Such a professional job no, securing it. It was great. It was like sealed. Pick, there was like pick, an edible wax seal. Like it was done in the Middle Ages or something. Like it was so, <laughs> it was so, it was so perfectly made. And if I liked tomatoes, I would have been like, "This is the best sandwich I've ever had." But instead, I was like, "Okay, well, here's my money. I gotta go." Or I, I said something, and the guy's like, "Let me cook you another one." And I'm like, "My show is in eight minutes." Uh, you know, like, I got to get the f- over there. And the guy's like, are you sure? And I'm like, can you transcend space time? Uh, <laughs> but then I, but then as I left, uh, your lovely wife, Shauna was just like, oh, don't worry. Tim ate that sandwich. <laughs> How was it? It was good. Ah, see, I, I knew don't, it. I don't I know tomato issue, but I respect the, you I, know, I, some people can't do hands on balloons. Some people can't yeah. do I did the, know, the, popping the, balloons. <laughs> There's this sort of, um, I've, uh, in my life, I, I, I very early sort of kind of shuffled off that like fake masculinity of like Mm. what it means to be a man. Like you ain't a man if you can't drive a stick. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, and that's another one of them where people or like, um, when you get sick on like carnival rides and people are like, what, what are you a baby? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't work out my my equilibrium. Like, I can't exercise yeah. my stomach in a way that's going to be like, now you can be dizzy. Yeah. And by the way, what a weird concept for people. Rides. Just conceptually, the idea of going <laughs> yeah, on a ride. Put me in this metal contraption that's going to... They, I don't know. They are the horror movies of of entertainment. They're like they're not they they they're stupid in concept, but they're safe thrills. Yeah, it's, it's a safe thrill. Where, even though it's, I wouldn't necessarily classify like the county fair as safe. Yeah, you know, like when everyone like whenever like whenever a traveling carnival has a roller coaster with like a loop on it, I'm like no. <laughs> if this that seems too hastily yeah, put together yeah if, it shouldn't be able to be put back on a truck yeah yeah and, I, and I flip me around i want a fixed I, roller coaster if that's the case yeah. like i'm good yeah, wooden rickety one let but... me play a rigged game how yeah. about that or like just furthermore though like not the even the ridiculousness of rides but if we are so foolhardy to put ourselves in these metal contraptions trucked around the country and vaguely strapped in and you lose your corn dog or something like that for somebody else to look at that and say, wuss. Yeah. You're a, you were a weakness. And you're like, yeah, what? That's, that's just, I've never. Yeah. Like I used to have, I would, people would be like, 
and even now, like I have a universal pass. People are like, do you go on like the Harry Potter ride a lot? And I'm like, oh, not that one. I get sick on that one. And they're and they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like it's it's not a moral failing. It's the same thing yeah. with like with with chicken on the bone. It's like I'm not picky. I'm yeah. getting sick. It's not like I'm like, I don't like it. Um, yeah. There's some foods I avoid. I avoid salmon because I just don't like the flavor. But if I'm at somebody's mm-hmm. house and they're serving salmon, I'm going to f- eat it because I'm an adult. Yeah. But if I'm at someone's house and they are um, doing chicken on the bone, I I can't eat it. I'll just be like, well, and that's for the better of the social interaction for you to not like, mm-hmm. yeah, to grace graciously decline and not put yourself through yeah a, a, a revolting yeah process and making dinner weird for everyone. Like, it's, yeah, it's like it's less weird to say you know i'll just take yeah, the mashed potatoes and it's better it's better to be politely declining something than to retch when you're eating it yes and, and that that's sort of the situation i am being so gracious yeah like it's just like oh look at me i'm such a good person uh um now uh we're going to have a i have a couple more minutes with you and then we're going to do a little mm-hmm. patreon exclusive thing uh where we're going to uh, talk uh, about more but uh one thing that's very important for me tim and i don't know if you know this but i have a patreon it's at patreon.com slash jeff may and uh, i have a lot of fantastic producers and if you go to patreon.com slash jeff may and you sign up for the producer tier i guarantee that i will say your name during an episode i don't know if you knew that did you know that tim i am one of them you are one of them you're on on the list right you have a secret uh, name. Yeah, right? I changed it recently. You did. I'm not sure if the reference that I changed it to. Uh, let's uh, see if we get there. Oh well, let's see if we get there. Okay, so I would like. I to... was Don. You were, and and nobody got. That's a, a nice long running uh, joke uh, twixt us about um, what we we were. They used to refer to in the Beckett as common players, um, so the baseball players that weren't all so stars. Common. I love that. What a rude. What a so rude Victoria. price guide name to to melt people down to. So I would like to uh, give a shout out. Thank you. This is a great one to start on. Poinsettia Jingle. Mike Gouts. Grumblebee. Cronenberger. Jeff Hurl's Concussive Force. Somebody's been watching my Instagram stories. Uh, Farty Marty, a.k.a. Fartholomew Martinez. These Seven Bees. Lemming Malloy. Kool-Aid Molotov, Superman Family number 184, the scene in Meet Joe Black where Brad Pitt dies. You remember the scene, right? Yeah. Uh, how about the stoned T-Rex and the Kelly Jones Ban- Bane Batman back break? That would be what uh, Batman number 497, mm. I believe. Or is it Detective Comics? Doesn't matter. I forget off the top of my head. Batman. It was Batman 497. I think it's straight. I'm going to go with straight Batman. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> that stoned yes, the, T-Rex. The hulking. What it a, looks like a weird upside down crescent moon of 90s extreme muscles. So uh, good. Like Kelly Jones's art, I used to not like. And as I have aged, I look back on it and be like, that's f- awesome. Bane yeah. has a hundred abs. Like that's so, that's so cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm the law, martial law, and I hate superheroes. Mr. Billy Beck. There were raptors in the kitchen, Phil. People died. Kimball, your Yuletide retail goblin. Uh, hell yeah. Get vaccinated, you chuckleheads. The 5G lets you see sound, and then you can see your friends again. Let's go. 
Big Booty Boy, 42069. <laughs> nice. Russell from Jersey, pizza, bagels, Taylor ham. Bold and brash, more like belongs in the trash. Mef J, hi, I'm Super Fudge, and welcome to Fudgemania. Craft beers make my alcoholism look like a neat hobby. Jez Butt's going to be a dad. Good for him. The Ian McClendon. L, stuck in a shipping container outside of Los Angeles. Seldo. Caitlin Binney, the bollock, the digital fill. Patrick Dore, Jeff hates competitive fun. How could you? You live by the vertigo, you die by the vertigo. Jeff May is never going to have a history podcast, guys. Believe me, I asked very nicely, and that is true. I, uh, that's an assignment to me, and I want to do that. I try to be very polite about that, mm. where I'm just there. Everyone's like, do a history podcast. I'm like, I retired from that, and I've got a lot. I'd ra- I want to do a I want to do a podcast about soda commercials. That's way more well, fun. Yeah, to me. I mean, you're doing something social economic history economic history minded with your advertising project yeah i just commissioned my uh i finally got my my music moving uh which Mm -hmm. is nice the arts coming in and uh god i can't wait to do that show it's a lot harder um to to like come up with that like i mean i have my thesis statement on that but at the same time uh organizing it because i'm a real perfectionist when it comes to like something that's planned and plotted out like that i'm very go with the flow in a show like this where i have my points but like to come up with like a long threaded thesis on you know what eight to twelve hours of of podcasting way harder than you guys would think Mm. is it rude to use this bit to ask for comedian keith carey yes it is how could you do that to me it's a good use of your money though just request who you want. Cody Beck Jr. at Gavin underscore not with two T's. Jessica Robertson, Captain Fat Strong. I don't care if it's Halloween. I'm keeping my 12-foot skeleton up till New Year's. Joke's on you, buddy. <laughs> Halloween is over. I hope that I hope that skeleton's still up. Just put it on the couch. Terrify you. Imagine you have your family come over for Christmas and a 12-foot skeleton is sitting on the couch. That would shred them. That's all I want. Start merging holidays. Uh... A, synth- a synthesized holiday. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. Uh, shout out to the AV Foundry, Domo Arigato, Andrew Roboto, Gray Man of the Fireside Chronicles, Ricky Cilantro, At Nerd Numbers, Mackenzie Chill, Willem Dafoe's Baffling Big Bonanza, Dan Hackroyd, Murph the Murph, show me in the rules where it says a dog can't play basketball. Did you see? I think it was like the hard times did one about how the high school championships were destroyed when teen wolf mauled Airbud. <laughs> very funny I remember that uh richel russell richardson the sass dan sophia hapgood psychic services the ghost of dave thomas koi fam art and mentoring uh frankly amish bart fartigan jennifer fendelander the most well-prepared dead guy i didn't kill my wife adrian kelly stanaway silius ruby steven Dr. DNA, Burrito Mouth, Twitch.tv slash Firechild 460, Lisa Harden, Huey Freeman, Taurus Bulba, Mind Freak 555, Children Love the Meat Millie, Flesh, Your Friend, Where's Bane? The Sad Free Willy News Noise, C2E2 AM Adventures. Is that a threat? No, that's a promise. An action figure of Clippy. Instagrams at Bob underscore of underscore skull. Saint Gut Free. Funky J, David Knifeboot Hinson, Fashizlis Jones, JK, Jeff May's biggest fan, Exploding Runes, Dil Havarti Jolly, Buckaroo, Normal Man Andrew McGuire, Vortispin, 
Norm from Cheers, and Shebrew Sleeps. I have a lot of I have a lot of producers. You have here. a lot of producers now. I've heard I, that list. I do. I do. I think I need to. I, I might. I might change the tiers at some point in time. If if I am in a mm. position where uh, I don't uh, desperately need the ten dollar producer tier, I might bump it up uh, higher. But at this point in time, I'm just living, baby. Uh, I, I'm. Is that a threat? Is that? Oh, is that you? Yeah. Is that a threat? No, that's a promise. Did you ever have to watch the Buttercream Gang? No, but I remember you used to talk about it a lot. Yeah, all right. It's uh, from a bad coming of age, vaguely Christian morality uh, VHS movie. I mean, that's there's nothing. Do you, you said that I have? Do you have it? <laughs> I, I do. It's over there. Did you buy it like as an original copy, or is it like a bootleg? Or uh, it's an original VHS copy. Didn't buy it new though. Charlton Flea Market. That's a nice find. I remember when we used to. Did you ever go with us to the flea market when we used to skip church? Uh, I used to separately skip church with my brother. Really? I don't think I had ever gone with you, but yeah. My mom used to like when once my brother got a license, my mom was like, "Okay, I know you don't want to go to church at eight a.m. So, as long as you guys promise to go and bring back the flyer to prove it, you guys can go on your own." And we were like, "Mom, that sounds great." I used to do the same thing. We would go look at all the VHS porn, uh, just generally sin for like a good hour. And then we would go back to St. Joe's uh, in Charlton, Massachusetts, hang out in the back, get the flyer, go eat donuts, and then talk to people like, oh, yeah, you know, we showed up a little bit late, didn't want to interrupt the service, so we just stayed in the back. great reading from Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sermon really meant a lot to me, Father. And then just go home and lie to my mom. And she's like, what'd you think? And, and But she knew that we were bored by church anyway, so she's like, "What was the, what? tell me about the sermon. I'm like, I don't remember. I was zoned out. That was a nice little, we had to do a quick little pause on the recording because Tim, you just, uh, you just had to sale. What did you, what did you just say you did? Uh, I just loaded two 120 pound cashmere goats into the Mercedes SUV of a fine young family. I I like that they would have a luxury SUV and then be like, no, let's throw some goats in there. It's the nicest ride I've ever seen. Yeah. My yeah. goats go into. I, I don't so. uh I don't know if I'll ever own a nice car. <laughs> Do you ever like have that realization where you're like, oh, I don't think I'm ever gonna have like a nice car. Like a car people are gonna be like, I'm jealous of that car. Yeah, well, I still drive a Honda Civic. I've been doing the farm thing, but we don't have a truck. No. And I feel that like I get from it about it sometimes from people at the towns and farmers exchange that see me you might want to get like a tacoma yeah it's just the civic is paid off and you know shauna has a hatchback so most stuff we need to buy for projects we put in there uh you know hay deliveries you know th- those just come from elsewhere that yeah i don't know it's I, it's it's on the list it would be practical for some things but we've been doing remarkably well without the obvious vehicle choice so yeah i mean nothing wrong with that yeah yeah like i I have i know people that are like out here they want to get like big cars like i have a friend that's like i want to get like a rav4 i'm like where are you gonna park 
<laughs> like, you know, this is Los Angeles. Like anybody with a pickup truck in Los Angeles, I'm like, if you're not if you're not a worker and you have a pickup truck in Los Angeles, you're just kind of an mm. Like, unless you inherited it. Uh, you had mentioned uh, earlier, too, that you were at the comic shop. Like, what do you tend to read? Like, what kind of books do you read? What do I tend to read? Well, these days, I mean, it's been slimmer pickings. Pandemic, right? Um, still reading Usagi Yojimbo. Mm -hmm. I've been following uh, Xander Cannon's Kaiju Max. You familiar with that? I'm not. That sounds great. It's a prison drama with kaiju monsters it's it's been running for like six arcs i think it's wrapping up but uh, oh damn i'll have to I've check been following that, out. that for a while yeah i don't know trying to think of, like those are some of my longest running yeah. in my box recently but you know recently like i've been picking up the batman 89 so you know i don't it's, need it in my life necessarily but it is that's yeah. that's called art by the way yeah <laughs> like all art is not needed it it enhances life it's not integral to life yeah so i don't know like that's the stuff wednesday warrior that comes out of my box but uh well what kind of stuff do you collect i, I should have asked i don't want to get too deep into something like when we hit to the yeah. patreon exclusive we're going to talk about uh, something very fascinating that you were in, engaged in that recently uh has sort of been finalized as part of your collection that we'll talk about but um what, yes. uh, what 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 do you like what kind of stuff do you collect um you know the most recent like collection check mark you know off a list that i've done was walt simonson's whole thor run oh really um yeah that's uh at least everything he drew i didn't yeah I didn't keep going with everything that he wrote, but uh, I forget who he passed off art duties to. So yeah, sometimes it's like, that's the sort of thing that I'll collect, you know, collect dutifully by numbers to try to have the whole set. Um, I always find that what? interesting. Like when we, cause like there is that collector's mentality of like, I, I, I need to have this. I need to finish this. And then you, when, when you finish it, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't need all yeah. of that. Or I mean, sometimes when you're like, no, like I gotta, I very much. Yeah. Have the disease of, uh, you know, all right. It's only a six issue mini series and you know, it sucks after two, but I'm not just going to have the one and two in my box and not know what like i've been trying to disabuse myself of some of those of the addiction to, of it yeah yeah to, to just try to have the whole completionist set because i don't you know yeah i i got this house in rural wherever but i need to be thinking about a more sustainable storage situation i mean i read i read more things in trade uh these days or at least i'm trying mm -hmm. so uh i mean you can see my bookcase yes. behind me is almost all trades and then a dr beverly crusher star trek generations action figure mint on card um yeah. but there was definitely i think when i when i got the job with sideshow and i became a part of like the collectibles world and sort of like the un, the visual arbiter of collectibles for a lot of people like they watched the shit i did religiously trying to sell them a toy and it really did 
sort of like awaken this idea of like, oh, well, some, some stuff is just stuff and I don't need, I don't need to be like so voracious about making sure I have everything. And that has sort of like real, it's really been this like methadone of the sort of collectability thing, which is like, like, cause like I had access to all of this collectible stuff. And that's yeah. when I realized that I didn't need to mainline it all into me all the time. Yeah. I mean, going to the shop every Wednesday, I mean, it's more like a going to church tithing sort of thing. Like <laughs> it's the ritual. Oh yeah. It's, it's, you know, see, seeing if there's something, I don't know. I used to buy the previews every week, every month and, you know, really make out my lists and flag everything down. But now I'm back into more of like, no, I'm not going to look at what could be coming out. I just want to be surprised if, yeah if, if, if i see it that's you know i want that mystery back in my life that would and especially again it's since you know publishing and production has sort of slowed down i think it's at least given me you know more reason to show than i mean i don't know i would say like four or five years ago i was doing i was mainlining like mainlining like 50 dollars a week in floppies which was that's kind yeah. of insane and you know, I was like, I don't need to be reading everything in the Valiant line right now, but I feel like I must for some yeah. reason. No, I, you know, I, I, my guy, like my comic shop guy, Leland, I, I love him. We, we had lunch yesterday. Like I showed up right around his lunchtime. He's like, let's go get lunch kind of a thing. He knows, like, I really like if, if a new book is coming out that's like an indie title that's like really unique, he knows to hold it for me and be like, it looks like you would want this weird book. Mm-hmm. Like he knows to do that. Like there's something about local comic shops where they're they're almost like a bartender and that they yeah. will be able to know you enough eventually to just have stuff ready for you when you show up. Yeah, I, I like that, that that's a lot. What I, yeah, that's he does that for me. It's like, hey, I mean threw this in your box thought it might up your alley that you don't have to no no, no, no pressure we yeah just thought of you so uh we're i'm gonna let you go although spoiler alert you're gonna stick around for patreon exclusive content uh a little quick little guy um but uh until then uh tim tell me what you got going on what should we be plugging what albums should we be looking at what do you got what what, which one of your classes should we sign up for at whatever yeah, high right. school you're at? My, 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 my nuclear age, uh, Cold War elective class. Uh, you get to watch Rocky Four. I was going to say that's a class that I would have taught as well. So I'm with you on that yeah. 100%. No, my most recent project, like ever since pandemic hit, actually, I invested a bunch of money into finally having a home studio set up that... You know, I used to record things on four track and really, you know, do the traveling to Connecticut to record all my stuff with Dan. But now I have all this stuff and, you know, I record, I don't know, I've just been generating a lot of instrumental um, music. And again, it's, you know, genre wise, kind of hard to explain, but uh, me and uh, another shared friends, Cody Castigian, um, uh, programming. Super talented, very, very brilliant computer visuals he did the uh, have a nice life uh live visual backdrops uh, that uh that you saw uh, there at la but uh, we we have a project called dr video uh, it's at c dr video on instagram 
we're on Twitch, see doctor video. I mean, Twitch is the platform where essentially it's just a jukebox of a lot of instrumental music that I've generated paired with an aggregate bed of, you know, a lot of thematically curated content that we've, uh, that we've come up with. We've sort of been treating it like announcing shows every couple months. And that's, and we're trying to decide what to do with this, you know, self-described like psychedelic UHF, interactive UHF channel on Twitch that you can manipulate the visuals through the chat. If you're on there, you can even manipulate the music to a certain degree. And, it, you know, it's just a messed up fever dream experience of like 90s cat candy advertisements or things like that. I'm into that. Yeah, so we just did, uh, you know, our Halloween Fright Night special um, and are deciding uh, see Dr. Video on YouTube to, uh, you know, you could subscribe there. And it's S-E-E-D-R-V-I-D-E-O. Yes, C as in looking at Dr. Video, see Dr. Video. Is it D-R or D-O-C-T-O-R? D-R. Okay. D-R. So S-E-E-D-R video. Okay, so check out Seed R Video. Yes, to seed our video um, on YouTube. You know, Twitch is where you know we're trying to bring this idea to fullest fru- fruition to life because you can throw all sorts of bullshit on Twitch and no one cares. Versus YouTube has, you know, they have proper usage standards and stuff like that. So that's the most recent thing. I mean, for have a nice life material that there's a lot, there's a big bucket of stuff in the demo stages. Uh, and then my other band, uh, consumer, uh, which is with, uh, the, uh, the remaining members of the have a nice life live band, uh, that aren't Dan, um, sort of a heavy, uh, like what we're trying to say is we kicked Dan out of the band. (laughs) <laughs> um or we had extra studio space time or rehearsal space time and he wasn't around but uh we've been working on writing a new lp who knows uh, when we'll go in to track that but uh, that's what i've been working on but i think the most accessible thing is my doctor video project you can on on youtube uh, see doctor video on Bandcamp. i dump all of the soundtracks there too um if you want do it uh, if, if you see if you see what's going on uh, in, in the visuals and you would want only the music part i think the visuals are what make it it's totally the genius child of cody and i just happen to be feeding the sounds to it uh but yeah on Bandcamp too but oh yeah no i Dr. found you guys on twitch that's rad uh what a fun what a fun project to do i i love that a lot that's yeah, that's really cool. So uh, check all of that stuff out. Check all that amazing stuff that Tim is on. And, you know, if you Google and read, there's some fascinating interviews, um, some great interviews by, uh, you know, Vice and and Revolver and, and you know, just some really cool. Shit. So definitely check that out. Uh, if you want more of me, which obviously um, you can check out Tom and Jeff watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network where me and Tom Ryman watch Batman and then talk about it. We just wrapped the long Halloween. We're back into Batman Beyond, and <laughs> holy shit, things are going to get wild. Um, you can also check out You Don't Even Like Sports, a sports podcast for people that hate sports, like most of my listeners, uh, and the Unpopular Opinion podcast, both on the Unpops Network as well. Uh, it's the holiday season. Please support small, independent, local artists. Stop giving Amazon money. They're destroying the planet. So maybe, maybe don't give them money. 
the end. Uh, thank you all for listening. And if you are a patron, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I appreciate every single, single thing about you. God, my lisp just came right back. Tim, thank you so much for joining me. And I'll, I'll see you over at the Patreon. Thank you, Jeff. Hey everyone, our artwork is created by Justin T. Brown, who can be found at Artness by Justin Brown on Instagram, as well as artnessbyjustinbrown.com. That dope music you heard is by Troy Nababon, available at Troy Nababon on Instagram, as well as at troynababon.com. Nababon is spelled N-A-B-A-B-A-N, and boy does that shred. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.